Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners and a few surprise guests. And today, we have a winner from Illustrators of the Future back in Volume 25. Hello, Mark Payton. Good day. So uh, it was great when I sent around that uh, email to all the past winners um, that you responded because I'm so I'm always excited to hear from people that have, have won long since and what's happened to their lives and their careers since having won. So I guess we'll break it down into pre-win, the win week itself, and then since then. So how did you get into art and what was uh, your uh, progress? Well, it is something that is a long line in my family. Um, my mother's side of the family, there are a lot of artists. Uh-huh. Both sides of the family, a lot of musicians. And uh, so it was something that <clears throat> I was not discouraged. Uh-huh. Um, in, in fact, one day when my grandmother, who was an avid painter, came to visit us, I was sitting there doodling. Uh, like a nine-year-old boy does battleships and tanks and planes. And she saw a drawing of a guy sitting at a telegraph machine. And she was uh, impressed. And she did the, the grandmother, grandmotherly thing. She was like, this is beautiful. Do you want to learn some more? It's like, yeah. So she sat me down and started teaching me simple things like um, for, uh, one point and two point perspective drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, facial anatomy, how to figure out exactly how to draw the face uh, correctly. And uh, then whenever we would go to our vacation home in Ithaca, New York, my grandmother's house was right next door. And when my grandmother wanted to go on walks in the country road, I would go with her and she taught me how to look at um, the wilderness and see pattern in chaos. And um, for you know, a, a growing young man who was interested in art, it, I just soaked it in. Yeah, I never got past the stick people. It was—it's funny. It's like it never. I, I saw one of my first pictures I ever drew. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm always amazed and, and totally impressed with people that, from an early age, they just had that that draw to drawing. You know, being able to to draw and to animate things. It's just, I'm just amazed at that. So, okay, so you had your grandmother and you were encouraged by parents, which is an awesome thing. So how that then, how to develop from there? Well, uh, my parents are missionaries. Uh, I was born in Argentina, raised in Puerto Rico, graduated high school in Mexico. And around, it was in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, it was in Mexico that I got my, I would say my, I would say my modern age, uh, learning and understanding of art. Um, uh, of course, in high school, I fell in with the art crowd. Mm-hmm. And uh, my teacher saw my potential and took me under her wing. Uh, whenever uh, I went out, put it bluntly, when I moved to Mexico, well, yeah, I was straight from Puerto Rico to Mexico. It was the first time I had a girlfriend in Puerto Rico. <laughs> And when my parents got their orders to move to Mexico, I was not happy. Right. And so I looked for something to do. So I started riding the subways around town, around the city, see the uh, ruins, 
see the the murals, which is Mexico. They're amazing in Mexico. Amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. I I fell in love with the muralist in Mexico, and then of course uh, my art teacher, who really took me under uh, under her wing, and in fact my English teacher, because I did horribly in English, was not going to pass the English class, so. He was starting a literary magazine for the high school, uh-huh. and he said, "I will give you an English grade if you illustrate in the magazine." I was like, "Yes," <laughs> <laughs> and I got an English grade for drawing. In fact, my um, uh, biology teacher, which I took her twice because I failed her the first time, uh, on one occasion when my parents came for parent teacher night. My biology teacher told them, uh, as a biology student, your son is a great artist. <laughs> it was everywhere. For as me. an English student, your son is a great artist. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah, from there, um, I looked straight at, um, yeah, when it came time to look for college, mm-hmm. my parents guided me towards one particular school in Wilmore, Kentucky, Asbury University. Back then it was Asbury College for a couple of reasons. We had family in Ohio, so a couple hours away. Had a cousin who was studying there. He was almost done. He was going to graduate in another year and a half. Uh, Another cousin who's my age was going there uh, the same year I was going to go there. And they had a halfway decent fine arts department. Mm -hmm. so I signed up with them and moved into a town with two police cars and one traffic light. <laughs> Is Mayberry RFD? Yeah. When the school was in, the town population was somewhere around 10,000. When school was out, it was less than 2,000. Yeah. Okay. So then, so you're in college because you, you won the contest. It was now, it'd be 12 years ago. So that would make it about 2008 or seven or so. So then what's the difference between like your college now? From college, I had enlisted in the U.S. Army. My intention when I enlisted was to become a combat artist. The one thing I did know going in was nobody can go in as a combat artist. You have to go in as something else. When you're in the, uh, the Army's art corps, you are embedded like a uh, reporter is with a unit. You don't belong to the unit. You're assigned to the unit for a certain amount of time. You create whatever artwork you want. The Army keeps it all. Right. And surprise, surprise, what the Army uh, recruiter did not tell me was I had to be active service five years or more. Had to be a sergeant, D5 or higher, and had to be invited. And in 1985, when I enlisted, was peacetime. And so the Army's quota worldwide for combat artists was, and they already had them, eight soldiers. <laughs> that was it. And I got downsized out after two years active duty. So I never got into any uh, combat art corps. However, I did create artwork uh, for the Army. Um, three years after getting out of that, I went to the Texas State Guard. They were reorganizing from groups into regiments, and one of my officers in my unit knew I was an artist, and I got to design seven different regimental crests. It took me all of three months to design all seven. Uh, It took 
three years before they came out in, in use and issued to everybody because of all of the army procedures and politics. Right. But I have artwork registered in the Pentagon. Wow, that's great. Yeah. And then slightly after that was uh, when I decided uh, in 2008, uh, I decided as a New Year's resolution to get off my butt and get my business started mm -hmm. rolling in any direction. It didn't matter. Just get it started. Right. First thing I did was uh, three pieces of artwork, submitted it, and got a call two weeks later. Yeah, but, um, so that was the first yeah, I was asked when it was published. Uh, I don't remember this scene in the story. I said, it's not a scene exactly from the story. It's a snapshot at the end of the story. Somebody pulled out a camera and took a picture of the girls, you know, the, the uh, protagonists uh, win in the story. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's actually in, located in the end, at the end of the story, in the yeah. book. So you only submitted once. How did you find out about the contest? I had been following Writers of the Future from issue one. The first week I was allowed to leave the barracks during basic training. All of us, you know, we hit the closest PX, which was a mini PX. And, you know, and there was a bar next door. There was a restaurant near, you know, nearby, you know, fast food stuff. But, you know, uh, 150 of us just socked that store. And... We all bought stuff, uh, whether it was snacks or stuff. And um, I bought two things. Uh, I was the only guy in the unit allowed to have a camera. Long story, drill sergeant allowed me to carry a Polaroid camera. So I became very popular because I would sell little Polaroids. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the other thing I bought was issue one of Writers of the Future. Mm -hmm. I got one story read before we went back to the barracks and as soon as we went back to the barracks we all got information that took everything from us and we had to do things to get back what we bought and uh, so i had to do something like 50 push-ups to get my book and my film back and um, that's how i got into writers of the future and followed them ever since Wow, that's great. And so then you saw, because it, it was volume five or six that the illustrator contest started. So you saw that yourself as, at what point did you decide I can do that? I'd say about issue, um, I think it was either 10 or 12, uh -huh. uh, that I decided I wanted to and uh, try. And of the three illustrations that I did eventually send in when I went in 2009, the first one I drew and then I decided, no, I can't do this. Uh, I don't feel like I, I would win. So I put it on a shelf and it sat for years. And then one day uh, I just bought the latest issue and was looking through and I said, enough. I pulled it out, cleaned up the one I had done because my style had changed a little bit and created two more and submitted them off. Wow, that's great. So what was, so the week you came out here, so, was the uh, 25, where was that? Your, that was uh, the Roosevelt. The Roosevelt, okay, good. So here in Hollywood. So what was that week like here in, uh, in Hollywood? Uh, busy and fun and running on adrenaline the whole time because not just all the stuff that happened that week, 
But it, this was about two years before I had finally been diagnosed with sleep apnea. And so I was suffering from sleep apnea at the time I was there. So I was not getting much sleep. And uh, yeah, a couple of times that I got interviewed, you, you could tell. <laughs> it's like, hello. <laughs> but um, I, you know, I remember first night we were there and the first page of that book I was drawing is all of us all of us illustrators standing around that table you were there and you were breaking down what we were going to be going through for the next week and you know, just standing at that one table uh, in the lobby uh-huh. of the Roosevelt right getting to know the area did uh, one thing for my wife which was go to um, uh, Madame Tussaud, she wanted me to take some pictures. Uh, uh, I'll never forget us going through the rehearsals of the, uh, the ceremony. Speech training. Yeah. When I got up there and I said, I'd like to thank the uh, Academy for having absolutely nothing to do with this event. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I can remember the day of the reveal of the artwork uh, over at the main building. All of us artists stood by the artwork and the writers had to figure out which stories were theirs. As soon as they pulled the curtains off of all the pieces, all of us illustrators immediately pointed to one piece of artwork and we said that she's going to be the winner. And she was. She was the top winner and she. I remember she was going from there straight to college to get her degree in architecture. uh, Sitting in the ceremony we are all just sitting here. It's going to be her. It's going to be her. And then they called her name. And we all just stood up and started clapping. And it's like, yes. It's like her work was phenomenal. Yeah. Now, in that week, was there any anything that memorable in terms of the workshop that stands out for you? First day of the workshop for me, sitting down at the table in the uh, room that we had, we all putting on our little name tags. And who should sit down next to me? But uh, my uh, childhood uh, idol when it came to sci-fi drawing, um, and uh, we got to talking, and we ended up having a lot of the same life experiences because his father had served in the diplomatic corps, having served overseas. You know, I had brought uh, one book with me specifically to have him autograph it because his artwork was on the cover. Hickman, yes. Stephen Hickman, okay, good. The other time in those uh, sessions that really stood out was the portfolio viewing. Yeah. I laid out my three pieces, or ten, you know, I forget the number of how many they asked for us to put out, of our best pieces that we had. I can remember almost word for word what um, they said. You have perfected something that most artists take their entire lifetime to achieve. And that is, you can render perfectly. What you draw looks exactly like the object you drew. Your problem is, and they pointed at one and said, how long did that one take you to draw? I said, uh, somewhere about 80 to 90 hours. And so there's your issue. When you're dealing with publication, you're dealing with deadlines, you need to be able to create artwork 
uh, within a deadline. And uh, the first thing they said was the first thing I did ever since, and that was carry a sketchbook with you everywhere you go and draw all the time. And uh, it will improve not only your work, but it will improve your speed when it comes to creating work. That makes sense. That makes sense. Did you ever read or have you ever read any of um, Mr. Hubbard's essays on art or illustration? Yes. Any comments on that? I take a lot of what he has said in the past to heart when I have attempted to create artwork specifically for some book covers. I mainly work right now in spot illustration uh, for magazines and books mm -hmm. and um, commission pieces. Uh, I've done t-shirt and patch designs, but a lot of what he said really resonates. And it, uh, boy, it rolls downhill uh, towards what he said about writing. And that is you have to develop a story that catches somebody in an instant. Right. And um, I had, you know, my writing has taken the approach of I am trying to paint a picture with words as opposed to with lines. And um, I've approached that as well as some of the pointers that were given to us during uh, the sessions by the other uh, professionals who were there. Good. There was there's one thing that he talks about art. He calls it the quality of communication, which makes it even possibly more important or more significant with this the spot art you're talking about, because that little that little bit has got to really communicate boom instantly whatever that message is. Yeah. So now since winning the contest back there, what's what's happened with your art and your career and life since then? Shortly after returning to Colorado Springs, um, I had been working full time at that time, four time uh, cable. Uh, both my wife and I, and we both lost our jobs, and we decided that we needed to be close to my parents in New York. So, um, put it bluntly, everything seemed to fall in place. We were completely broke, and suddenly we had the wherewithal and the money to rent the truck get everything across country, unloaded in our new apartments. And this was 10 years ago now. Yeah, and some people said, you know, Colorado is so beautiful. Why in the world are you moving to New York? I said, well, Colorado is a great state to live in if you have a job, if you have an income. Otherwise, it's not a good state to live in. New York, on the other hand, when it comes to telling someone I am an artist, if you say I'm an artist and I live in New York, it's like, it doesn't matter that it's not New York City, it's New York. <laughs> and people recognize, oh, he's an illustrator, or he's an artist. And I had gotten a, a few heads turned when I said, yes, I come from New York. That's where I do my work. So I um, settled in here. One of the first things that I do when I move anywhere, because I've moved constantly all my life, uh, ever since I started doing artwork, is I would pick two nonprofit agencies to donate my artwork to. Everybody else, in some form or fashion, pays me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I first moved here, um, I became a scoutmaster one of the troops nearby, so I donated to the local council 
uh, Boy Scout Council here, designing patches and uh, t-shirt designs and things of that nature. And then to an organization called the Landmark Society of Western New York, which is a nonprofit organization um, geared towards helping property owners renovate properties as opposed to demolishing the building. Wow. Uh, landmarks. And one of the things I love to do is architectural rendition. And one of the first things I noticed while my wife and I drove into Rochester was this was an old city. This was a city that became rich before the turn of the last century. Right. Because of the Erie Canal and the waterfalls there, the city is rich in very beautiful architecture. Mm -hmm. I bugged them and bugged them in the organization, uh, sent them emails, and finally I did a full mock-up pen and ink of their headquarters, which is an old turn-of-the-century mansion. And I got an email from them that says, would you like to do artwork for us? Said, sure. That's brilliant. For your, yeah, about a year and a half, they didn't pay me anything. But then the CEO of the organization said, you're doing so much work for us, we need to pay you something. Now, I've moved away from doing a lot of work for the Boy Scouts. I do steady work for the Landmark Society. Being fifth-generation Salvation Army, I befriended the directors of the Salvation Army's Eastern Territories uh, Media Department, mm -hmm. and I'm on hire for them doing all kinds of different things, whether it be character drawings, uh, design work, illustration work, uh, and they pay me um, you know, what you know, we've already set up a you know, a rolling scale as to what I can charge for what I do for them. Uh, but uh, both of those are nonprofit. Both of those are not very, very steady work, but they are my two regulars. Yeah. I do commission work. Since I no longer had anyone that I was donating my work to, I started looking around, and that's how I got involved in my next biggest project. So start, is that the one that you talked about, the... Um, Star Trek. Yeah. That was, I, I, I watched a good portion of that uh, clip you sent to me, and that's amazing. The Prelude to Axanar? Yes. Prelude to Axanar, uh, the producer, Alec Peters, um, has been a Star Trek fan since he was a little boy you know, from the 60s. Uh, he's just a couple years older than me. And... Uh, he had, uh, back in, I forget where, I think it was in the 70s, an idea of a story that involved Captain Kirk's idol, Captain Garth, of which there was only one episode of the original series where he met Captain Garth. I think the episode is called Whom Gods Destroy. The premise of the movie, uh, he wanted to create a free feature-length movie, two-hour-long movie, and nobody had to pay for it to go see a fan film. Right. And the premise was, what was it that made Captain Garth famous? And it was the Klingon Federation Four Years' War that takes place 20 to 25 years before uh, the original series. So he wrote up a story. He lived in Hollywood at the time, Alec did and got a large number of volunteers 
being in Hollywood, most of those volunteers were all professionals in the industry. Sure. Uh, whether you know, in front of the camera or behind the camera. Then he um, did kickstarted to raise the money for it, and as a way of raising money for the feature length film, they created Prelude to Axelar as something they could take around from convention to convention. And when Kickstarter took off, they, in an effort to keep the ball rolling, created one of the scenes from the featuring film, which is also on YouTube called the Axonar of the Balkan Scene. And when CBS and Paramount saw that scene and saw the fact that they had raised over a million dollars to produce this film and then saw Prelude to Axonar, they sued him after telling him that he could go ahead and do this. So I met him in 2014. Uh, someone had uh, pointed out Prelude to which was already on YouTube, and was blown away by it. And my income at the time couldn't afford supporting him financially. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, I have no one to donate my services to, and this is not for profit, so here we go. And the first thing I did was create a portrait of one of the characters in that film, Prelude, uh, who, was, who lives in Romulus, New York, which is just north of my town, my hometown of Ithaca. J.G. Uh, Hertzler, who is also the actor who played uh, General Martok, on Deep Space Nine. Right. And so I did this portrait of him as both General Martok and Admiral uh, Slater from Greenwood Axelar back to back. And I entitled it uh, Conflicted because on one side he's a Klingon, the other side he's a human Federation officer fighting the Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> Same act. And he was going to be at a convention here in town, so I did the portrait for my own personal self. I wanted to take it in, have him autograph it, and I was going to hang it on the wall. Well, I got there, and he didn't come. He had something come up to leave. So I scanned the picture in, and on the Axonar page, I said, I wanted to see him. I missed him. Darn. And that's when Alex saw the portrait, and he got in touch with me. And that's when I was able to tell him, since you're nonprofit and I can't afford to support your work, at this time I would like to offer my artwork uh, in any form or fashion that you need. So over, yeah, since 2014 to now, I've been creating bits and pieces of stuff. They run a studio in Atlanta, Georgia called Aries Studio. And the plan was a um, built the studio for the film, but once the film is done, they still have the studio, they still have the sets, they rent the studio out to anyone who wants to at a reasonable cost, and they made arrangements with the Atlanta schooling districts to provide the studio free of, uh, yeah, free of charge to the schools for their projects. And so they had to create two entities, uh, Axonar Productions and Harry Studios. Axonar Productions is the movie, mm -hmm. Harry Studios is the studio. So all of the money that is raised 
privately is for the studio. Keep the studio open. They have means of people going in to donate to, to the film. But last October, they had the majority of the film done. Um, after, when CBS decided they had overstepped themselves by suing a fan production supported by thousands of fans worldwide, yeah, the, later, yeah, the Star Trek movie and uh, the 50th anniversary were a complete bust uh, for CBS. They realized uh, we overstepped and they went back to Alec and they settled out of court on two conditions. One, he could not raise money publicly. And two, um, he had to abide by some new rules, which meant he could only produce 30 minutes. And uh, so he came back to all of us who had been supporting him and said, well, we got an, op uh, an option. Prelude to Axonar ends in a cliffhanger. And I could make the 30 minutes to add on to the end of that. Or I could make a standalone 30-minute film. And we said, no, add it to the, uh, the rest of that. And so they completely rewrote the script to fit that. Um, some of the other fans, yeah, another fan is working on a 10-minute fan film of a fan film that fits in between all of that. So it'll be, you know, when it's all said and done, you'll have a total of about 61 minutes worth of film on this one story. And then the fans have started doing things like uh, one of my best friends in Texas, He's been creating comic books uh, based on the story. Uh, I've written and um, still working on the last half of uh, a, an extended short story based off of the storyline, mm -hmm. you know, like a, a shoot off. And now I realize too uh, that you're not you're not a published author, so you can also submit to writers of the future. Yep, up to seventeen thousand words. So you definitely wouldn't be the first. I think we've had four or five. Uh, double winners so far over the 36 uh, years. Yep. Um, well, I wouldn't submit that one. <laughs> I have another one that I have been uh, retweaking. Um, and that's the other thing that Writers of the Future did to me. It opened my eyes to the idea of writing. And so I got involved with the writers group here. Got some friends who were editors. Started just writing my stuff. They loved the story, but they, you know, being editors, I pointed out things that needed to be changed, uh, format changes, grammar, all that fun stuff. By the way, have you heard about our, our the Owen Hubbard Creative Writing Online Course? Yeah. We launched it about a month uh, and a half. We've got like 3,200 people on it so far from over 50 countries. Yeah. It's just, it's been such a rave response with people finishing stories or done with it, but just, it handles so many questions they've got on how to do it because You've got obviously 10 essays from Elrond Hubbard, plus you've got Dave Farland, Tim Powers, and Orson Scott Card actually doing the video yep. instructions one-on-one. -on -one. And my, uh, the short story I'm working on now, I quite literally had to write to a, uh, the current owners of the song, I've Got You. <laughs> because the story ends with the, uh, the main characters uh, singing the words, I've got you under my skin. And I you know, got permission uh, to use it in the story. Oh, that's good. That was, that was an interesting story that, scientifically speaking, the details in there, I'm retweaking to fit with the new science that's come out. Yeah. 
So what do you, so obviously you're giving, a, you've got a direction now going with respect to both art and writing. So what, uh -huh. do, you, what do you foresee for yourself in the next uh, few years? Uh, being 57, I am now aiming towards what do I do till I retire and forward from there. And um, back in 2009, my goal then was to teach teenagers art. And that has changed um, because of the, um, the numbers of veterans leaving the service and uh, the issues of dealing with uh, the large number of veterans dealing with PTSD and uh, the fact that I have really gone uh, nuts on working on sketching, that I am working on developing a, a program to teach veterans the mechanics of visual journaling and try to work a way of connecting it with uh, whoever they work with at their organization, whether it's a VA or some other um, clinic, so that um, they come to me to learn you know, the exercises and then they go back to their therapist because I am not going to take the time to go back to school and become an art therapist. Right. I would be 62 by the time I finish this yeah. is going. And it's like, no. Um, uh, and so that's one of my two goals. And two, uh, to be able to afford it because I want to offer all of that to the veterans for free. Basically get my freelance work up to the point where um, my wife and I can survive on the income from that. And the nice thing about uh, freelancing as an artist it doesn't matter that I'd be 65. I can still do it. Oh, no, we got Larry Elmore, who's uh, a brilliant artist. He's the one that did all the cre creative art for uh, uh, Dungeons & Dragons and, and uh, other very famous board game stuff. And he's just like, he loves his art. That's all he does. And he's in his um, mid-70s now. So, yeah. yeah there's for me, the two main things that I uh, gravitate towards, well, three, science fiction. Um, military work, uh, because I know it, and uh, architectural rendition, because I just love the old buildings. Yeah. So in terms of um, advice for other aspiring artists, or even for, um, you know, you've got your purpose aligned along uh, helping the military, but what advice would you have for whatever, you know, type of an individual you'd like to be able to help? I would uh, start off with the first, you know, the last thing I said in my speech at the award ceremony. And that is get off your butt and do something because if you don't do anything, you're not going to get anywhere. It doesn't matter. Right. Uh, it doesn't matter that if you start off with something that looks horrible or reads horribly, start. Right. Find someone to be a mentor, find someone to mentee. In other words, pay it forward. Find someone to help. Right. Uh, because it gives you a sense of purpose. Uh, with all of the stuff that's going on nowadays outside, uh, I want to find a way of helping as opposed to screaming and yelling. It's something I learned in the Army. Don't come to me with a complaint unless you also have a suggestion. Right. Because if you don't have a suggestion, 
you're not helping me at all. <laughs> and that's when I was a sergeant. I, I, I would tell that quite often. Yeah. So the same goes there. Find the subject matter close to your heart. Find, in my case, it was uh, the history uh, that I have lived in and lived around the history of my family, mm -hmm. history in general, I have a passion for because of all the stuff I learned from my family. Then uh, the military, I, in my family, it was one person per generation who served. Right. Going back to my great grandfather in the Boer War, South Africa. And we have studio photographs of all of us going back uh, to that one. So I have a passion or these guys, I tell them when they come to me asking for a portrait, and says, send me all the snapshots of you when you were overseas. It doesn't matter if they're overexposed or underexposed, send them all. Because I, you know, if I pick a picture, if it's overexposed, I can still make out that buckle, that snap, that strap, and I know exactly what they look like. Right. Because I wore them. Right. So, you know, get the stuff to me and I find the one that works. When it comes to day-to-day, -day, as a sketcher, or as an artist, sketch. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're stuck inside, draw your foot. <laughs> <laughs> Set a whole bunch of cups and you know, salt and pepper shakers in front, uh, in front of you and draw. Because it, uh, you want to make it to the point where it is second nature to you, your hand-eye coordination. Right. When it comes to writing, it's the same. All of those points that I made about it, it's the same for writing. Right. Write. It doesn't matter that it's horrible when you start. Uh, find someone to help you. Find someone to help. Do it. Do it every day. Even if it's a single sentence, if you can't think of anything else, find uh, tools to help you exercise it. All of those things. Good. Good. Well, that's very sound advice on that. And if someone wants to be able to, to discover Mark Payton, how can they find you? I have a Facebook page, fan page. It's MP Graphics. It's an, that's a cool logo you got there, too, by the way. I love that logo. Uh, it was a snapshot somebody had taken of me directing traffic when I was in the guard. And I still have the helmet sitting back there. It uh, was me directing traffic. I had a logo before that called, uh, and I called myself Treadway Graphics because Mark graphics didn't sound, didn't roll off the tongue. Right. And so Treadway was Welsh for Mighty Warrior. Mark is Greek for Mighty Warrior. And I got so sick and tired of explaining that. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I got to come up with something else. And th at that time when I was going through that, that's when I was in the guard, I was an MP. I said, wait a minute, I, my initials are MP and I'm an MP. And uh, then I, you know. Everything, I read everything to prepare for it. And the one thing that I remember just like instantaneously was MP graphics. Yeah. But if you go to Facebook, there are two to three different uh, companies under the name MP graphics. Easiest way to find me is if you see my face in profile with a waterfall behind me, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Good. That's in Ithaca, my hometown. Yes. Um, Do you have a web page? My web page mpgraphicillustration.blogspot.com. That's a blog page uh, that I need to 
go in and add some new stuff. Either way, and then my email address, mpgraphics at hotmail.com. Yeah, and hopefully when we get this thing edited and up, then they, they can find this also in there because this, is, this has been a great interview, very fun, and just kind of like here's, here's the life of, a, of an artist at Summit. Because people live life and they don't realize that everybody's got travails, everybody's got issues to deal with, but how much is that purpose there alive for you to be able to pursue your dream? And you've definitely demonstrated that, and I think that's really important for other people to have. Yeah. Um, along those lines, um, one of the reasons that I am passionate about my artwork, when I lived in Colorado, I was there to take care of a legal issue with my daughter and my ex-wife. Uh, my daughter at the time when we moved uh, there was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, very prickly legal issues when the judge finally passed the sentence on all of us involved and what i i can tell you that was the day i literally went gray now, my daughter and i we have a very good uh relationship now she's 33 but at the time it was a it was a I put it uh in a abbreviated word it was a b uh, buster and the thing I loved about Colorado was the way I was able to decompress. And that was the wilderness. I was, you know, Colorado Springs survives on its tourists because of the wilderness there. So the parks are easy to walk in. The trails are easy to walk. And I would go every weekend. I would hike out to a... Uh, a spot where I could look out hundreds of thousands of miles of mountains and I would either sing, I would draw, I would write or read. And it was one of the things that got me through some of the hardest times in my life. Yeah, it was shortly after all of that settled down was when I got involved with writers and illustrators of the future. I get it. So Art and aesthetics, is, I think, is just really important for anybody with whatever issues they've got. It's really important. Yeah, especially nowadays. <laughs> yeah, especially. So any last, uh, that was, that was um, very heartfelt and very much appreciated. Any other last uh, uh, message you'd like to give? Anyone interested in starting something when it comes to a career in writing and or illustration, give them a try. Uh, yeah. What's the worst that can happen is they say, oh, thank you. And they've done that a couple of times to me already. Right. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll try again. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I think it's important. Well, thank you very much, Mark. And thank you very much for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by L. Ron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to all amateur writers and artists. So thank you again very much, Mark, for uh, having this opportunity to talk with you and I look forward to more good news from you and hopefully seeing this next installment of the um, uh, Axanar series. Hey, 
Yeah, it's due to be finished the end of this year. Uh, they did the majority of the shooting in October of last year. Uh, they were supposed to be doing the last of the shooting this month, but obviously that got pushed back. Yeah. Uh, and headed out to Hollywood to do the last three days of shoot out there next month. Well, that'd be great because that, that first installment was so much fun. So I look forward to seeing the next one. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you.